Welcome to Season 1, Episode 36 of Digital Dissection, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite properties. Today we're slowing down some French music, taking some slumber-inducing drugs, and going on a level or two deeper as we talk Christopher Nolan's 2010 blockbuster Inception. Are we back from the dream world yet? We're not sure, but we're having a great time. And just in case you've fallen one level too deep and managed to get to this podcast by accident and have no clue how you got here, maybe you can try searching for us by typing in Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast, wherever it is that you choose to listen to podcasts. And perhaps you're not following podcast websites. You can instead find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and even a blog that we keep by searching at Digital Dissect One or digital section podcast of social media sites do share some more pop culture and a sweet meme or two as well as current information should be fun do we have like an outline or anything or are we are we winging it over here well, we tr we never truly wing anything, but um, but this is a celebration, yeah, of, of the film Inception by Christopher Nolan. You may have heard of it. Yeah, mm -hmm. did, small, we, small indie pick. I know yeah. that. Yeah, we all indie remember. Sick, yeah, mm -hmm. that little one. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All night, Matt's been going. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, the year was 2010. Coming off the heels of The Dark Knight, we ended up getting a little film called Inception by Christopher Nolan. And for some... Christopher Nolan was, you know, only attached to a couple of films that, uh, you know, that had some notoriety up to this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly only knew him from the Dark Knight, like movies, because uh, I am a just a, a comic book geek. So, yay, Batman! <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, like, uh, what this movie has, you know, quite a few Dark Knight alumni hanging out in it too. Sure do. Mm -hmm. You've got um, Bane himself, Tom Hardy's hanging out in here. Scarecrow. Yeah, Scarecrow. Yes. yes. Don't be afraid to dream a little bigger, darling. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, George, uh, Jordan, uh, oh my God, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I can't even say my own name. Yes. yes. Uh, hanging out here. Nightwing. JGL yes. himself, mm -hmm. Michael Caine hanging out too. Oh yeah, Michael, that man. Michael Caine. Yeah, Michael and Caine. I can't remember her name, but I know she was Talia Al Ghul in um, the Dark Knight Returns. Oh and yeah, she's our, yeah, yeah, and um, she is the, I guess, kind of a antagonist in this movie. Her name is Marianne Cotillard. Yes. Otherwise, uh, as we mentioned in an earlier episode. Uh, Marion Collard Greens, because it's easier for me to remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yay yeah. for mnemonic devices. <laughs> Woohoo. 
Well, uh, well, uh, the other thing too about this movie, you've got uh, Ken Watanabe, who who you know mm-hmm. plays uh, uh, Saito or like Saito. I, I, it's always hard for me to remember exactly how to pronounce, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I mean he uh, he was also an alumni of of Batman Begins, mm-hmm. uh, playing the uh, the stand-in Ra's al Ghul. This is true, and yeah. uh, we all were waiting. I mean, at least I was waiting in this movie uh, for him to actually just see two people ready to throw down and for some to go and try and stop those two people and he just pulls them aside and says no let them fight yeah <laughs> yes. god the the amount of memes that could come out of these people uh you know rounding out the cast we've actually got uh tom berenger who a lot of folks had almost forgotten existed uh of, including um, Tom Berger. He forgot yeah. he was there. I'm in this. Oh, what? Oh, yeah. okay. Well, right. let's, I guess let's make a motion picture, kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Of course, uh, we mentioned Scarecrow, Cillian Murphy. Yes. And, and then we have the late Pete Postlewaite, who plays Maurice Fisher, his father in this movie, uh, uh, which I love that dude. It's, it's unfortunate we lost him uh, a few years ago, but. Unfortunately, some of the some of the old folk in this movie are definitely getting old. Yeah, it's yeah. True. See when? Oh God, when did this come out? Like 2011? 2010. 2010. Oh, off, off by I a think, year. I think we already stated that, Joe. I mean, uh, attention to detail is not my specialty. <laughs> like it, it might Just have been one of the banter. first things Mark said. <laughs> Admittedly, <laughs> he's definitely rewatching the Dream Little Bigger scene while he was doing the intro there. Yeah. Well, because, you know what? yeah. That's fine. It's, it's it's my favorite little bit of the movie. It's a um, fun little bit. Yeah, and and honestly, Tom Hardy uh, never lets anyone down in this movie. So go Tom Hardy. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. He just That's... yeah he's he's going at eleven the whole time. Yeah, it, it's it's very true. Uh, he's doing his best Rick Astley throughout this entire film. <laughs> uh, you know this this movie kind of going back to 2010 though. Mm-hmm. It, it did kind of come out of nowhere. Seemingly came out of nowhere because you know, you've got Christopher Nolan making Batman movies, as we've mentioned. Mm-hmm. You know he's coming off of the Prestige, uh, which was in uh, I think 2006 or 2005 in that area, and and you know so he he's really for a lot of folks okay I'm just going to whittle it down like they didn't really know much about him. So when when Inception comes out, it it kind of blows everybody away because it's this you know very cerebral, mm-hmm. uh, deeply rooted movie, and obviously it's not nearly as uh, I don't know if you want to call it like high flying as a a Batman film. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but oddly enough though, he actually had this idea since he was sixteen years old. Really, that long? Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Chelsea Joe, think about what you were doing at sixteen years old. Let's see. Um, no. Not a whole lot. <laughs> Definitely high school. I think that was the year I started playing golf uh, because Big I got kicked off from a baseball team. And by not kicked off, I quit. You were invited to leave the I team? I was. Well, I mean, I was invited to sit on the bench because I was missing <gasps> practices uh, and going to driver's ed instead. Oh, wow. Yeah. You were promoted to fan is what I we was. Call. Pretty much. <laughs> yep. They're like, sir. Uh, there is a special place called the Pine Pony, and it needs to be watched oh in your own. Oh my god! Oh my god! Well, hey, this this was no Pine Pony of a movie. Okay, for for a movie that kind of comes out of nowhere, 
literally it's like it's like a play on inception like it just becomes this thing okay uh for 2010 it ended up pulling in 836.8 million dollars at the box office Ooh, just a few i mean that's good money this day like now in age like yeah like that's that's solid oh yeah. i'm happy i'm happy you guys said that joe because we're finally inflation! bringing it back yes when adjusted for inflation, this film in 2021 dollars brought in one billion forty nine million eight hundred twenty six thousand eight hundred thirty three dollars sixty eight cents. And you could add like seven more zeros, and you'd have what it made in yen. Oh, totally. <laughs> so Absolutely. like big money, big money here. And I like Last to point long. out uh, that I definitely accounted for inflation with uh, the Turbo Express last week. <laughs> the $551 handheld console back in 1989. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I'm glad it's back. Glad it's back. We're bringing inflation back. Oh, we did. We did. And and honestly, that's kind of the theme of this movie. It, it's it's a movie that, once, once again, we've mentioned, he, he had the idea when he was 16 years old. Mm -hmm. He originally pitched this movie in 2002 and insisted that he not have someone else assist him with writing the actual bones of the script. Like he, Ooh. he set out and said, no, I, I want this to be my original idea. I will bring the studio in. Once we've got funding, you guys can come in and help me, you know, carve it up a little bit. But for, for now, I want this to be my baby. All right. So uh, a couple of things that didn't actually make it to the screen though. This was actually envisioned as a horror movie originally hmm. huh i mean i don't know i can kind of see that i guess it has some like dark tones to it i can see it being like a psychological thriller mm -hmm. more than like yeah. a stab em up yeah it i mean you do have um like what whenever the one whenever they are in the dream too long someone does come along to try killing them that is pretty true consistently. Yeah. that is true yeah, really, it's only missing is the, uh, like, the Friday the 13th, you know, screeching sounds. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean. Imagine if they had that at just yeah. inopportune times of that movie. Oh. Like, they just play whenever they try waking up. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, like, like Don Cobb just got out of the, out of the dream space, and he's like, he's got, he's got, like, a wicked shit he's got to take, right? Like, <laughs> oh, I, I was yeah. holding this in before I went into the dream. Imagine. How bad it was after 21 hours. <laughs> so he, he's like sitting down, and then all of a sudden you hear that the cow, cow, cow. He's like, son of a Stop bitch. Not again. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and then Christopher Nolan was like, Yeah, let's let's not make this a horror movie, you know? Mm -hmm. Also, let's not make this a movie where my main character takes a wet shit either. Let's not do yeah. that. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. No. Yeah, mm. they, they took that one right off. The, right off, they just erased it, all right? Mm -hmm. You know, that's why you don't write these scripts in pen. You do it nope. in pencil. <laughs> <laughs> and always, always good to have another set of eyes look over it before before the studio gets a hold of it. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. how married are we to this steamy shit part? I don't know if that's going to track. <laughs> it might track, but not in the way that we want it to. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess for the folks that are sitting, you know, listening to this right now and going, okay, you guys have somehow not talked about anything relating to the plot of this film now. Very little. Very little. I mean, we I do mean, that on purpose sometimes. Yeah, we, we layer. Yeah, but in this case... 
we do it we, like we have been very good about our spoiler warnings and now that we do the timestamps which for like the two of you that actually see the timestamps um yeah. you know this is this is our, our point where we, we're gonna say we're gonna spoil the shit out of this okay Warning. yeah but just before that you're gonna see a timestamp about timestamps damn right you are yeah like we're gonna spoil this like grandparents with a fresh new grandchild so seriously this is gonna be we're gonna, we're gonna spoil it because there's no way to talk about this movie no. without mm -hmm. without spoiling it nope but and let's be no. honest if you haven't seen it yet i'm sorry mm -hmm. yeah it did come out <laughs> 11 solid years ago yes 11 years ago two years of which we've been in a pandemic it's on yes. all the streaming services yes. like yes, seriously mm -hmm. no excuses <laughs> no excuses. Well, who wants to take a crack at explaining kind of the theme of this movie uh, and starting off with it? I mean, what, 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 who wants to take tackle that that beast? I will. And here's the theme. If you are going to be an architect or you're going to pay attention to detail, because this movie is ton tons of little details, you better make sure you get the goddamn carpet right. <laughs> because that will fuck up the whole plan. You know that that shit better not be like a cotton thing. It better no no no. It better be wool because you hate it because it always makes you itch and sneeze. Get the damn details right, or you're off the team. And we're replacing it with Elliot Page. I was gonna say I I, I hate polyester. Okay, you can't. <laughs> it doesn't breathe. Okay, not at all. Not at all. But so, it is eternal. Cotton man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, my, I need it. Okay, I need that breathing technology. <laughs> yeah, you know, th th this is really kind of a cool setting uh, for a movie because we we've got a couple things going on here. Uh, for one, th this is like the the hidden antagonist of of Inception. Okay, so we've got our main character. His name is Dom Cobb, played by Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, the poor dude has has lost his wife. Unfortunately, uh, she commits kind of like super suicide yeah you know yeah. she kills the shit out of herself and and i mean should i give that away yeah Why, give it away. i give mean it away. it's give pretty it much away. leo's fault um and which goes into like i guess like the whole plot of the movie is that can you plant an idea in someone's head to the point where they don't realize that you're the one who done it mm -hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> the street is folding. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the idea of Inception, though. I mean, uh, it's it's eloquently explained that you know if if you tell somebody you know don't think about elephants, then they will be thinking about elephants usually. Mm -hmm. um, so most of the ideas that you get in your head are things that someone else has told to you, which is why it's impossible to rule that thing out as as uh, or actually to accept it as your original thought unless you do some mental gymnastics um but yeah i mean it, it's 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 the truth and so yeah that's really the the kind of the crux of this this whole thing is that we have a man who's been very very much uh, shattered by the death of his wife and due to some technology that the the military didn't want to use or developed and then decided you know what we don't need to go into our dreams and do our combat simulations there we'll keep doing that in the real world yeah because that that's where that's where real people fight not in your dream fighting yeah you know did they ever actually name what the dream technology was based off of because th th there's like an apparatus in a suitcase and then you mm. 
you know, you quote unquote jack into it and then and then you're 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 there. You're in the I dream mean, world. It looks like a time machine that someone built in the 1980s that wasn't really a time machine. And that it, if you would have talked to your uncle first, you'd realize it wouldn't have worked. I mean, I'm sold. I don't yeah. I don't want to mm -hmm. I don't want to accidentally electrocute my crotch. So no, no, no. that's no. why you go. That's why you go that's, to Rico first. That's the last thing you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's talk about the this this reality. All right. So we've obviously got the the reality that we live in, and we've mm -hmm. talked about the streaming technology that is being used in a way to extract information from people's subconscious, and, and so utilizing the dream world and multiple different levels of dreams, which we come to find out, is that. While you're dreaming, you can also dream again. Yes. And and if you want to order another dream, guess what? It's on the menu. You can yep. get another dream. You can yep. go another layer. You can mm -hmm. go deeper. Yep. So one thing that's cool about the dream level, okay? They they kind of talk about the loose math of this. So 10 hours of reality time, okay? We're talking the top level, all right? Mm -hmm. uh, the first level of the dream world would basically mean that's about 8.3 days. The second level would be 5.47 months. Hmm. And the third dream level would be 182 years over that same 10 hours of reality. So you can imagine if we're using multiple layers to build our deception, it's, it's a lot of time. That's a slippery slope. Very. And starting to think that Christopher Nolan just has an unbelievable hard on for time dilation because that was also what happened in interstellar, uh, which I mean, the science checks out for an interstellar, at least, I mean, to a degree, like I'm not going to sit there and say like, I calculated how long the time dilation should have been when they were in proximity to the black hole versus was going on earth because to quote Barbie math is hard. And, oh my God. <laughs> and, but at least the idea was right. The math could be off. I don't know. I don't know. Great time, though. I mean, I think what what I kind of got stuck in here for a bit was the fact that this movie is so interwoven in in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. um, some folks have talked about on on the top ten list here about how different numbers appear at different times throughout the movie. Um, specifically, if you look at uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt. And he has a, a set of loaded die that lets him know, like the, the totems. We'll, we'll just explain it while we're at it. Yep. Yeah. When folks go from the, the real world into the dream world, they bring what's called a totem with them. And only that person knows the value of their totem, whether it's a weight, whether it's appearance, you know, whatever that object should be doing normally, that's what helps tether them to reality. reality. Mm -hmm. And. Yeah. And so uh, talking about, you know, Joseph, or Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, he has a loaded die with him. And the face that you normally see is the, you know, the sixth side of his die. And so the number six just appears throughout a lot of the dream that he ends up hosting. Um, but yeah, that, that was the, the, the part of it where the movie kind of starts off is we're introduced to the idea of the architect, as you mentioned, and their role in building out the dream scape here. Um, who wants to take a shot at explaining the architects of the of the dream world trying to extract information? I mean, basically, you kind of just get into this other person's dream and insert yourself there like you're supposed to be there so that they think it's all business as usual. This seems nice. And you keep doing things that you 
think they should be doing. And eventually you can get them to confess things to you or share stuff with you, like personal information that maybe only they know. And then you get out. <laughs> That's right. Got the goods, corporate <laughs> espionage, boom. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And you're talking about that good old kick that gets us out of the dream world because mm -hmm. we're in it. How do we get out of the dream world without pissing our pants? Mm-hmm. You know, we need something that helps oh, bring us that's back. that's where the steamy shit was going to come in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do we get out of this level? Hey, let, let me tell you. I've got, got an idea. <laughs> got something to try this time, yeah. Yeah, I, that, that's one of the coolest things about this movie, though, is the idea of of kicking yourself out of the dream, whether it's done through... Well, the most convenient way, which is basically killing yourself. Mm -hmm. um, fortunately, shot to the head. Yeah, Down, I was going to say, for me, it's like drink a glass of whole milk and I'm waking up. Boom. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the idea of the kick with, I thought was kind of cool to, to help um, bring you out of the dream world. And the, the, the way that uh, people know the kick is coming, though, was one of those really cool layered things about this film. Now, does anyone know the actual name of the song that plays, you know, before our characters are essentially kicked out of the dream? This is going to kill me because I know that Hans Zimmer, like, uses that song. Like, he slows it down to a much, much slower speed for, like, I think the main theme of this movie. And it is killing me. It's it's not it's, a chart topper. You, you're it's not, not a chart topper, but it's yeah. French, isn't it? It is. It's French. Um, balls. It's fine. I know it. I know what it is. I know what it is. I asked the questions, knowing the answers. Unfortunately, kind of, kind well, of like I mean, uh, Alex Trebek here. I mean, that's, that's really that's good. better. Yeah. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. probably best thing to do. Yeah, because imagine if you didn't know the answer, you're like, oh, well, this conversation is now going to be much shorter than I thought because no one knows the answer to this question. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, the song itself is called uh, "Non Je Ne Regret Rien," which means in in English. No, I don't regret anything. Um, and it was performed by uh, Edith Piat, with who actually was. Uh, I actually I remember this. Uh, Marion Cotillard actually um, depicted her in a film where I think she either won an Academy Award or like people just loved her performance. Um, the layers so, just keep building in this movie. Well, it, it was to the point where Christopher Nolan actually considered like saying, "No, let's change the song because." Marion's too close to it. <laughs> <laughs> but they, yeah, but but to your point, Joe, yeah, I mean, Hans Zimmer took uh, like basically like two notes from the song and just distorted them and like just pulled them way down. Uh, and yeah, it ended up appearing as those loud booms that you hear throughout the movie um, and then mixed into the score and the soundtrack. I mean, they got a lot of leg work out of the royalty for that damn thing. Oh, man. Which might as well. I mean, you're paying for it. Just just use it constantly. Yeah, yeah it's, it's I mean, it could have been a doorbell at some point. <laughs> it's just there. I mean, I, it, for me, it was it was a knee tapper. You know, like I, mm -hmm. I find myself singing those notes in the shower, you know, just just putting the, the, the you know, the two in one man shampoo into my hair and <laughs> and just sitting there going. Bwah. I mean, you can't yeah. beat the value of the two in one. No, shampoo just... and conditioner in one bottle. Why would you need anything else? Yeah, yeah. Shampoo, conditioner. You can even, you know, strip a boat with it. I mean, come yeah. on. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Simultaneously yeah. dries your skin and moisturizes it. It does both. Keeps it nice and even right in the middle. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Let, let, let's talk about, you know, Dom Cobb and, and Mal for a moment. Because we, we talked about how, you know, Mal obviously commits suicide and they, they pin the murder on Dom. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Dom has basically been on the run for years and trying to get back to his family. Uh, when I looked at, at Mal for the first time, I, so I was an art history nerd. Okay. And early on in the movie, when w- they're in Saito's house, right. They're trying to do the extraction. They're, they're basically just uh, dream level two. Right. Well, one of the first times we actually see Mal, did any of you look behind Mal on her first appearance on the wall? Because there's a very distinct painting that's there. And I was sitting there being an art history nerd, like geeking out. But did, did you guys see the painting? Are you familiar with it? I am not. Was it the um, was it the woman in the pearl earring? Was that the one that was hanging out back there? <laughs> no. Big old pearl? No. no. Okay. No, I, I don't think there'd be a way for me to to somehow get meaning from that. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you really like that head wrap. Yeah. Oh, meant God. a lot to you <laughs> no it was it was actually much deeper uh so this this was a, the painting that was sitting there it was by francis bacon and it was actually uh a painting of his lover at that time which his name was george dyer so this would have been back in the 60s he painted several images of george dyer but the reason why this one was important to put in there it's a favorite of christopher nolan's as well but this painting of dyer has like a massive hole in the middle of his face and it's incredibly distorted okay so in the notes for this we'll we'll share this photo that y'all can look up um but when i was watching it right away obviously having never seen inception knew nothing about it when you see this photo or this 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 painting it immediately gives away that something's kind of wrong okay so me being the, the, the art history nerd i'm looking at this going oh man this is foreshadowing God damn it. But I mean, of all the foreshadowing that can't be done, that's not that bad. <laughs> no, but like I, the fact that she was standing right in front of the painting, I'm like, uh, okay, what does she do? Did she kick puppies? Like, no. you know, <laughs> oh. does she pick her teeth with like stuff that's just at the table? Like what's going on with her? Just the most heinous of offenses. Oh God. She eats her peas one pea at a time. Oh, the worst. Yeah. So immediately though, that's, that's how I kind of figured this is my kind of movie at the same time, because yeah, there's, there's so many things that are being layered, not just in the mechanics of the movie itself. Um, but, but also just the detail. So Joe, this had to have been a nightmare for you seeing all of these details over detail, (laughs) but it was hard to see the detail within the detail too much. Yeah. Actually, you know what? Speaking of, uh, this is going to be like trivia corner for everybody tonight. But uh, okay, so when Dom, we first see Dom uh, meeting up with Michael Caine in, they're in like a university setting, right? Um, we've been talking about layers a couple times here. Does anyone know what the significance of the room was that he walked into, where uh, Michael Caine goes? You know, I this I can think out here as opposed to the broom closet they have me in. Do we do we know what what's important about that room? Um, it is one hundred percent real wood. <laughs> Rich Every bit mahogany. of it. Not and none of it pine. None of it pine. Oh, pine. <laughs> Trash of wood. 
<laughs> you know, you're, you're probably both right. Uh, but this was a very specific room in the University uh, of College London. Okay. Okay. Um, it was the architecture school where Christopher Nolan actually met his wife. Oh, cool. Yeah, That's Emma sweet. Emma okay. Thomas. Yeah. And they would they would go on to work uh, together on on several films. So it's it's you know a nice little romance story that's woven in there too. Uh, fortunately, he was not framed for her murder, and she's still alive and well. So Close. yeah, much mm -hmm. much better romance there. Anyway, though, I, I we did kind of get away from this. Okay, well, we so we talked about uh, like <laughs> hidden antagonists uh, back in like our, our coverage of Ghostbusters, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Inception also has an underlying antagonist. In layers, we're not just talking about Mal. We're talking about Cobal Engineering, mm -hmm. who uh, Dom Cobb worked with, right? That's who he was trying to initially extract the information out from Saito on, and obviously he didn't deliver. So, what are they going to do? They're going to send people after to kill him, in oh. which is uh, one of the most anxiety-inducing moments in this entire film, where he's in Morocco and he's got to climb through that little tiny wall. I mean. That to me, I can't watch that that part of the movie. Are you sure? Because there were a time when you got stuck in a wall and you thought you were really funny when you were in the wall. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's nothing funny about how small that 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 little gap is that he has to squeeze through. Oh uh, yeah. I mean I don't know. I I don't know what the term is uh for being afraid of small spaces, but I know that if you're called that, hey, I've never even looked at another guy like that, Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yay, Ninja Turtles reference. <laughs> yep. It's just movie references within one big movie reference this week. I mean, that's kind of the spirit of what we're doing here. You yeah, know, it works. It did. Yeah. So yeah, but no, claustrophobia, not fun. Being cramped no. in the tiny places. Well, here, here's what some movies struggle a lot with, okay, and, and especially when you have a, a movie that doesn't have three hours to tell a tale, right? Mm -hmm. What Inception does really well when Dominic Cobb has to go from this, or oh, sorry, I, I filled out his full name. He might just be Dom Cobb for all it I know. Be Dom Cobb, yeah. yeah. But really ends up going Yeah. Well, he, he, they end up actually doing more character development in a, a period of maybe like ten minutes that some action films can't do in their entirety. You know, I'm going to, you know, absolve uh, any Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, you know, from character <laughs> development. But this isn't that kind of movie, okay? No, this ain't Bloodsport, kids. No, it's not. But it it does a really good job of of building these this little community out of people who clearly know what they're doing in the dream realm. Mm-hmm. And and whether this is the the folks that know how to inundate you with you know they, they show you how the drugs work and how people routinely go into the dream world that no longer can handle reality, but I really love Tom Hardy's character of Eames in this, um, because clearly this guy is talented in the dream realm, and you get just this vibe off of him uh, very early on, right? Like I mean correct me if I'm wrong on this, but did you guys get like a feeling from, from Eames that he's like the perfect kind of scoundrel? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> definitely has that going is that he is, he's a gentleman's, what do I want to say with this dick? He's a gentleman's I mean, dick. Is that just Tom Hardy in general though? It, it could be. 
Yeah. It's hard to tell. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely a swagger though. And what what I think it lends to really well here is that like, yeah, it's it's almost like the effect of John Wick and how you have this this network of assassins, you know, in hitmen that they're just out there. Yeah. And but they do a really good job of building out this community um, without even having to do much. And so obviously Eames is a big part of that. Um, but going back to, you know, Michael Caine's character at the university, this dude is literally looking at students and trying to place them into this, this, this network. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and like secretly, right? Like the kids don't know that's what they're signing up for, but he's like, no, 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 you'd be no. really good at this. <laughs> <laughs> which I think they did a really good job with uh, with Elliot Page, you know, mm-hmm. in this role where Ariadne is the name. Mm-hmm. Now, this is one of those like if you're if you're like a, a, a one of those folks that loves Greek mythology, you, you see the name Ariadne and immediately the red flags are going up. Um, does anyone know why that is significant? I mean, I'm, I'm going to hit you guys with all of these questions. No, but mm-hmm. I, I would like to know that because I just knew of it. Like there's a reference in a, in a Gundam series to an Ariadne fleet. And I'm like, oh, that's a cool sounding name. Uh, never really looked into it. So it's cool to know, I guess, that it's a Greek mythology thing. Chelsea, we're going to let you have the ability to answer as well. It looks like Joe is going to punt in this scenario. Yes. Yes, and I'm also going for the strategic double punt. <laughs> it's very odd that I punted to Chelsea. She caught the ball and she kicked it right back. It's like, oh, <laughs> right now John Madden is going like, what? 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 You don't do that in football. Just a game of punty punt. <laughs> Got a couple of power moves here. Fortunately, that's why we're we're here to move it along. So, is anyone familiar with King Minos? Oh yeah. He, had himself a had himself a labyrinth. Yeah. Ah, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Within that labyrinth, there is a half man, half bull looking thing called the Minotaur. Mm-hmm. Yes, the Minotaur. Yes, I do recall killing both of these individuals as as Kratos. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there is a little homie named Theseus who was trying to get his way through that labyrinth once upon a time, mm-hmm. and who would help him through that little thing? By a lady, the name of Ariadne. Yeah. Now. What's really the mind-blowing part of this, okay? I've, I've spent some time with this movie, clearly. And when she draws the initial mazes or, you know, puzzles for, for Dom to solve, right? Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's what Dom says. Design a puzzle in two minutes that takes me one minute to solve. Well, she fails the first two times, right? They're too simple. Mm-hmm. But then the, the third one that she draws is actually like a circle with a maze drawn within it. And for those who zoomed in, have that high definition, it would actually be the exact same maze that was used in King Minos's labyrinth. Oh, oh very cool, I'm but also unoriginal. Way to go! I mean, yeah, you I mean, that like, mm-hmm. they don't have to write, rewrite, or rewrite the whole wheel, I guess. Reinvent. I can't talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's once again this, mm-hmm. this movie. <laughs> is is clearly thinking hard yes <laughs> yes it is uh which which you know lends the question okay like once once they get in you know once they uh once they or actually i should even 
correct myself, we were talking about Cobalt Engineering for a moment there, and we kind of got away from it. Uh, Cobalt Engineering was hopefully going to be Dom Cobb's way to get back to his kids, which we yeah. assume are in, like, what, the United States or something, right? Well, yeah, I guess. I yeah, There's, I mean, it's not Europe. I feel like you're no. much more relaxed about this. <laughs> I feel like, well, they're in New York for a bit. Mm -hmm. But isn't that Dream New York? No, they're 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 in the early running. They're, they're clearly oh, yeah. in some kind of metro metropolitan area in the United States. Yeah. So, you know. So then once once uh, yeah, once he runs away and everything. But like the, the way that I always saw it was that he's working with Cobalt Engineering to somehow either gain enough influence, earn enough money, buy his way back in to get to the United States. Mm -hmm. Well, unfortunately, that that opportunity dissipates. Right pretty quickly into the movie. So of course our friend Saito, Sato, is it Sato? I, I always mispronounce his name. I think it's Sato. Either way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah Sato That's ends funny. up being like the coolest partner of all time. This dude's just like, yep, I got a way for you to get back in there. I just need you to take out my, my biggest rival. Mm -hmm. So of course the, the thing that can't be done in yes. session mm -hmm. is, is, is truly talked about. And they, they bring in this awesome team of folks to try and do it. Mm-hmm. So here's here's something I'll actually tell you all about that I did actually research. Now, who's ever heard of the name Deidre Barrett before? Was that the nice lady who paid us in advance before she became a dog? <laughs> like the enthusiasm? Not quite. <laughs> um, but she's a Harvard psychologist, actually. Okay. And I was close. What I what I was really cool about the, there's a, an op-ed she wrote. She actually gives a lot of credit to some aspects of, of this movie um, that most of us would just look at and go, okay, it's just entertainment, whatever. But she actually said there's some merit given to what the brain does in a moment like uh, the kick where Leonardo DiCaprio is dropped into you know, the tub full of water. She said our brains operate in a very similar fashion. So when you see the, the water flowing into the dream that he's in, she goes, yeah, that, that same thing would happen typically with the brain. You know, the majority of the time, the unconscious brain is just in a logical, you know, rambling and disjointed plot going on. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which for those who have listened to the show, no, that's, that's a lot of what we do here. That's how we're, that's how we're operating. That's pretty yeah. much it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which I mean, makes sense. Like when you think about it, like, how many of you have ever had a dream where you are waking up because you're falling or you quickly slid off of something and suddenly instead of like hitting the ground, you just instantly like fly up from where you were laying down. Like, or like maybe yeah. you really have to pee, you know, yeah. and mm -hmm. you wake up and oh no, Ooh, <laughs> I made a mistake. Hey, which oddly enough, the idea of stimuli impacting dreams does end up having that exact same thing happen in this movie <laughs> <laughs> someone has a little too much to drink on the plane and guess what that dream is very very moist what? <laughs> oh no oh, oh. yeah no so that that's that's where things kind of go awry here though right mm -hmm. um it, within the movie they're trying to extract information specifically or plant information i should say uh so that Saito's rival basically decides to dissolve his deceased father's empire, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so the, uh, the the idea of 
of what happens based off of the experiences of Dom here uh, as he can no longer be an architect, right? Like he was one of the best in the business at doing this and he no longer can uh, because of the, this, this heart-wrenching relationship with mm -hmm. Mal. Um, what did everybody think about the first dream level that they go to? Um, what we mentioned the moist level, we want to call mm -hmm. it that. What did we think about, you know, that, that part of the movie and, and how the pandemonium just kind of takes over. Well, no one likes a water level <laughs> like ever. Um, so just to make sure like on the right track, so you say like the first dream level, that's not, hmm, I think might be thinking of the wrong part of the movie because I was thinking of like when, when he and Ariadne like go into like the, Oh shit level of like, this is where you go because you've passed through too many levels and you go to this level right before you actually die. So that's not the level you're referring to, right? That's like the end of the movie. That's yeah, the Joe, end that's, of the movie. That, if we're talking I about have... details, that is like the very end of the book. Okay. Yeah. So as as a total, total, like, I guess, disclaimer, I definitely read books by just reading the first chapter, the middle chapter, and the end chapter. So <laughs> How do you I determine the middle chapter? Oh, I mean, you just look at the total number of chapters. You divide by two. Oh, you're dividing. You're not. I, this, so this is the science. You're not just cracking oh, no, it open. And not at all. This looks mm -hmm. like the middle. Exactly. And if dividing by two doesn't count evenly, you just round up or down, right. depending on the scenario. So, uh, well, like the first level, isn't that? That's the one where like they they kick Leo into the bathtub, right? So when it came to the dream world, mm -hmm. and we're focusing on the fishers now, right? Like so the. The, the family that were there, they're basically trying to help dissolve the family empire, right? Mm -hmm. um, the first level here is where it, it's raining, the and then suddenly we have a train that just barrels through everything. Right? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so the idea of the, the rich elite in this universe, they're paying to protect their subconscious with literally like armed subconscious. <laughs> Yeah. Um, now the train kind of barreling through it, though. Uh, Dom mentions this several times until it's fully explained that he doesn't like trains. Uh, right it's, there with it, him. It, it's, it's it's pretty clear that yeah, the subconscious can do some pretty crazy things, uh, especially if you've got some deep seated mental issues. But it can also fire back at you, and so once once we realize this shit show is about to get a lot worse. Um, suddenly our friend Sato gets, gets shot. And so I, I thought that was really interesting about, uh, this idea of weaponizing your subconscious to protect your, your dreams at the same time, because that's, that's what Fisher, uh, Cillian Murphy's character is able to do. Um, and unfortunately our friend Joseph Gordon-Levitt didn't pick up on that part of the research. No, he missed that. And it was his job. And Tom Hardy was very mad about it. I mean, no, 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 no. Leo got mad at him over this, right? Yes. He fucked up. Yeah, it wasn't Tom Hardy. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 actually concerned for you as to what movie you watch because it does not seem like you know <laughs> I'm all over the board. Yeah. That, that's why I keep throwing in other movie references just to sound like witty, but really I'm just I'm I'm grabbing at straws here. Well, we won't be the first people to be confused, I'm sure, <laughs> over the plot. <laughs> yep, like there'll be several reviews for this episode where people will say, like, I thought I was listening to Inception, and then for some reason it was the first Ninja Turtles movie. 
<laughs> shortly after we got to what's eating Gilbert Grape, and we're not sure how we bridged that gap. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. Well, it really, I think uh, what what shines here is the fact that there is so much conflict between characters because even Christopher Nolan uh, mentions this himself that that when uh, when Leonardo DiCaprio took the role for this, that's when the movie really started to to become more personal, right? The Because it, it could just be a throwaway action movie, right? I mean, the, so many of the details here could be swept under a rug. Um, before Leo was involved, they were trying to get Brad Pitt or Will Smith to play Dom Cobb. Um, now, as far as how much of this we can credit to Leo or not, um, the, the, the idea of of struggle and him just tearing into uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt here once they realize, oh shit, this subconscious is like, you know, militant. Mm -hmm. I, I thought that was one of the like one of the biggest strengths of this movie was seeing, like, just just how like I don't know how fiery these people were with each other despite their history. Because you can like we've talked about th th this is clearly like a almost like a fraternity of people mm -hmm. that know this industry and know what they're doing. But it's high stakes. Very. You gotta get, you gotta, gotta get your shit together. Mm-hmm. It's a goddamn Catalina wine mixer in there. <laughs> and also, I, gotta point out that, like, if it's true that like Will Smith passed this up, it's like he passed up the Matrix and Inception. Hoops. Maybe it was just too complicated. Maybe. You know? Maybe it was too much. And also, uh, this came at a time where the golden age of Will Smith movies was over where we got not only a great movie, but a freaking great soundtrack with mm -hmm. the first lead track or title track by Will Smith himself. And if you do not recall the such times or do not live through them, I'm just sad for you. Maybe that's the reason why he didn't take this movie that he wanted to do an original soundtrack for it and they wouldn't let him. I mean, I'd turn it down. I mean, if you can't do another Wild Wild West where the best part of that movie is, in fact, the song called Wild Wild West, what's the point? I'm not going to lie. I don't feel like I could see Will Smith in this role um, just because he brings a lot of, like, comedy to his serious action roles still, and there's mm -hmm. just no place for that in Dom's character, I don't think. That's true. I can see that because everything, like, even, like, iRobot and Will Smith is a pretty... I don't know. Again, like he's got a, a pretty serious flaw, flaw in, built into his character that haunts him, and still very comedic throughout. I yeah, personally, well, because yeah. every character he plays is still a little bit just Will Smith. Oh yeah, it's got to be Will Smith in there. But I've definitely stolen his "quit cussing, you're not good at it," <laughs> and go home with with students like "quit cussing, you're not good at it." There you go. Yep. You guys are kind of bringing up a point here that I didn't know if we would get to, and <laughs> and that's that's the idea of this allegory that the the actors involved in this movie or rather the roles they're playing do actually kind of mimic uh, creating movies themselves, mm -hmm. and, and so Christopher Nolan mentions that like he didn't intend for this to happen, but it just kind of did. But if we need it blatantly stated here. Um, the characters themselves do relate to important aspects of filmmaking. So for uh, Dom Cobb or uh, you know Leonardo DiCaprio, he basically plays the role of the director. Uh, Arthur or Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays the role, role of the producer. He's the guy that kind of keeps things going and, 
and ensures that the operations continue. Yeah. Okay. Um, you've got Ariadne, who is basically the set designer, ensuring that everything you know looks the way that it should. Um, Eames plays the role of the actor, right? He can take on any any role that he wants. And then uh, Cillian Murphy as Fisher basically plays the audience because he's along for the ride. <laughs> so <laughs> all right. So it 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 does. You know, once you kind of watch it through that lens, it does kind of take on um, what should be metaphorical, but ends up being just as realistic as it as it could be if it weren't a fiction. I mean, when when I look to Leonardo DiCaprio being a director, I don't see this movie being what it is without him. Mm-hmm. You know, even though it's yeah, even though it's Christopher Nolan's show, like Leo DiCaprio brought, I think the right mentality, the right intensity and, and fills that, 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 you know, that, that role as best. I think anybody could. And so, yeah, I mean, the next time you watch this movie, kind of, kind of look at it through that lens, you know, see, see what you think about that. Um, but once again, let's go back to the, the, the idea though of, of the dream worlds here and why they would be pissed off that somebody would have been shot because we've talked about the different levels involved and how time passes when you're in the dream world, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we have to throw that out the window because that was based off of what kinds of drugs they were using to induce themselves. Mm-hmm. And so p- part of the issue with this was that to give themselves enough time to plant the idea into Fisher's head, they needed to be there for a lot longer than normal. So we don't know what this chemical makeup is, but all we know is that if if you end up going down to the the subconscious space, there's a chance you could be there for thousands of years before you come back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's why the stakes are a little bit higher than they would normally be, um, <laughs> even beyond this little fifty year stay that that you know Cobb and Mal go through um, when they're down there. But I guess what we'll do here, since we kind of talked about the dream levels and how they work, and we are going to once again talk about the spoiler of whether or not at the end of this movie we're back in the real world. That's really the question that gets asked a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, well, I mean, how do you really know that you're back to reality or not? That's that's, that's kind of the question we've been asking ourselves for quite a long time, not just in this movie. Well, I think so, the way yeah. you can tell is purely because of gravity. <laughs> when you snap back to reality, oh. it's probably because you choked. No. Um, eight mile. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but okay, I seriously note. I think I think he's awake. I think he's awake at the end of the movie. I think he's awake at the end of the movie too. Mm-hmm. There are well, a few what, things, yeah. Although, few things yeah. Do, yeah. yeah. What's your reasoning? What, what's your reasoning for that? I want to hear it. I don't know. Honestly, now I'm wavering because <laughs> this freaking top, right? The top, mm-hmm. man. The totem's yep. all fucked up. It's still mm-hmm. spinning. He's. Dr- I think he's dreaming still. I switch. I go back. <laughs> well, okay. Change my answer. I would prefer him to be awake mm-hmm. because you know, happy endings. Yeah. Getting one in this day and age is kind of a win. Yeah. Because so we like dark I, movies now. I'm thinking. Mm, mm-hmm. I think no. I don't know. I think I think it is because like even you if you if you go strictly for the totem, 
um like when you see it in the whole movie like it consistently does make the same noise whereas in this time like it's the only time you hear it waver like it's actually slowing down or the right so when mm -hmm. it spins continuously that yep. means he's dreaming and mm -hmm. when it wobbles it means he's awake yeah it would because like everything else about the totem is supposed to remain constant so it brings him would bring him back so it should never stop spinning as long as he's dreaming or act right. like it's about to slow down okay and it does wobble mm -hmm. and that's why i was crisscrossed so now mm -hmm. I, I just i'm gonna switch back again he's good. okay another thing i'd like to point out is that this movie does a very very like good job of saying like you know when you're dreaming you just you're just there you're in the middle of the dream already you never have any knowledge of how you got there you're just there mm -hmm. and like before he gets back to his children like there's clear transportation from one spot to the next i think but it's it's flying back to there right so there's a clear we know he's there because we know how he actually got back he's not just there. suddenly at home hmm. now for for those that aren't familiar because i, I know we, we talked about the, the idea of totems earlier but mm -hmm. so uh, dom cobb's totem that helps remind him of reality that he's in is this little top that he spins very early on in the movie he puts a gun to his head and spins the top waiting for it to to behave differently so that he can truly come back to reality mm -hmm. so i appreciate that both of you kind of went that way because at the end of the film yeah he spins the top but he walks away from it he doesn't even walk he doesn't even try to see if it wobbles like you both noticed mm -hmm. right yeah he just, he just walks towards his kids so some could say it's irrelevant whether or not he's back Mm -hmm. Like he doesn't even care. No, he doesn't care. He's, he's finally just accepting seeing his kids. Yeah, he's yeah. accepted it. He's and and he's back and he's with his kids. So who gives a shit if the reality's real or not? Mm -hmm. um, well, here's what I'm gonna do to the two of you to kind of help mind fuck the shit out of you because the 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 top was never his totem. No, it's his wedding ring. It was his, yeah, it was it, Mal's totem. It was Mal's totem. Yeah. So how yeah. did he know? at any point whether or not it weighed what it should have and behaved the way that it should have she explained it to him mm -hmm. yeah but even she locked that secret away right but didn't he find it he does find it later mm -hmm. right but she locks it away and they were down there for 50 years yeah. long time so at that point who's to even say what what's real and what isn't right the, right. the, to the totem at that point to me is useless whatever the totem does i don't care or mm -hmm. maybe over those 50 years, he was able to handle it and just became familiar with it. Or does he not? Is that not possible because he became familiar with it while in the dream? He has no frame of reference for its original state. He only yes. knows about what it was in the dream world. In the dream, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that that's one reason why I want you guys to feel off balance. Part two of that. Have you guys ever seen kids age? I'm I mean, assuming you I have. mean, I don't yeah. stare at them the whole time, but I, I yes. do notice a difference. I'm assuming you have. Okay. <laughs> so, so Dom Cobb is celebrating at least a couple birthdays away from these kids. I'll, I'll say it. Let's just say at least one, at but, least. It, but the only thing he can remember his kids by is the look of their backs. Cause that's the only thing that he sees in the dreams anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, if he's been gone for any period of time, I doubt those kids are going to stay the exact same as they were 
as when he first went into the dream world. Yeah. So that that is that that's me throwing a wrench in the idea of what's reality and what isn't because there's no way those kids are the same look. You know, there there's no way. I mean, they absolutely should. no. I mean, that's why like child acting is so difficult because like you should have a movie for like eight movies when they're kids, but they just keep on growing. God damn it. Well, and here's 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 my other point as to why this this should actually help your or actually give your brain a little more mm-hmm. uh, actually make your brain feel a little more unstable in in the dream world his children are building a sandcastle on the same beaches that he washes up in at the very end of their mission where he goes to retrieve sato from the the subconscious that's just kind of doing whatever it wants down there so earlier in the movie, when he's talking to his children on the beach, they're building a castle mm-hmm. and they said it's supposed to be like the castle that's up on the hill or the house that's up on the hill, which ends up being Sado's house later on when he falls to the subconscious. Hmm. Hmm. So how are his kids having these independent thoughts of things that haven't occurred yet? I think Leo lost his mind. Yeah, he's crazy. I think he's crazy. Mm-hmm. Which, which to me means that... Uh, Maybe this dude's got another layer or two to get back to. Yikes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's for sure left open to interpretation, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's it's absolutely left for an optimist to find something optimistic and for a cynic to <laughs> no, find something cynical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Or for an overweight Filipino man to try and confuse people with. But hey. mostly that mostly mm-hmm. that well i i think christopher nolan knew exactly what he was doing with this because he even says he'll never tell right he'll never tell or maybe he doesn't even know maybe well. he's crazy <laughs> maybe yeah he was just writing he's like fuck i don't know how to end this he's like i cannot you know never mind we'll stop right here <laughs> just be done <laughs> well i i think that this is this is the reason why this kind of film is is basically living is as long as it has in in the pop culture space right i mean we've talked about some other Mm -hmm. you know properties here that have had waning you know waning days right like there's there's some movies that some folks have probably not even not not even heard about five or ten years down the road Mm -hmm. but inception is one of those few movies in like let's just call it like the the recent history it seems like it hasn't gone away at least that's just my opinion of it i mean what what's your take on it yeah, well, I mean, oh, it's definitely. Oh, go ahead. No, you go. It's fine. It's really oh, cool. okay. It's like yeah, like references are constant. The uh, mm-hmm. the Leo eye squinting meme will be eternal, um, <laughs> because it's brilliant. And again, like we just keep trying to like figure out what's happening. Although speaking of that, like I thought I heard that Michael Caine like came out in an interview and said that he was told by Nolan that every scene that he is in is meant to be Leo's awake. Like, oh. I swear that was a thing. And, like, part of the help that, that, that corroborates that, too, is that, like, again, like, you're not, you're like, you're never actually, you don't know Leo's true totem uh, because he never fully says it, but it's his wedding ring. Because when you look at it and you go back and you watch it after hearing, like, what, um, what Michael Caine said, you notice that in, in, like, all the Michael Caine scenes or even any scene where he's supposedly awake, He's never wearing his wedding ring. It's even the same like on the plane when they first meet um, Fisher. 
he doesn't have his wedding ring on. But whenever he's dreaming, his wedding ring is always there hmm. on his ring finger. So, I mean, again, just get more arguments yeah. and more layering over like what's actually happening out in this movie because people are still talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's thought provoking. I mean, Chelsea, before, before Joe, uh, viciously cut you off what were you gonna say <laughs> <laughs> no i was just going to i guess make a comment about like just pop culture wise i mean even if people aren't constantly still you know discussing the the different intricacies of the movie there's it's still continuing to live by people parodying it mm -hmm. all the time i think it's something that's you know, really fun and people want to always have their different kind of little spin on, oh shit, are we doing Inception? All right. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. So yeah, I think it's, it's super relevant. People have a lot of fun with it and I think it makes people think. Mm -hmm. um, and people like to freaking like create conspiracy over stuff. So this definitely is conspiracy fuel. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And then, Okay, so because again, apparently my my timeline's completely messed up. Was the <laughs> South Park Inception episode like years after the fact, or was it? Did that Not really out? years. It came out okay. pretty well after. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That one came out still, I think, kind of hot off the tails of the popularity of Inception. I know, gotcha. like mm -hmm. Rick and Morty did a an Inception episode, um, <laughs> which obviously mm -hmm. would have been years after yeah. the original movie. And was that episode like the like they? played a video game as like just a person or is that maybe i'm thinking of something different they have one where they <laughs> they incept morty's math teacher to give him a passing grade so that he can keep <laughs> going on adventures with rick because he's failing math oh so that's they, brilliant <laughs> and then they kind of mash it up a little bit with some like uh kind of like freddy krueger oh yeah that like one. stuff too mm -hmm. yeah well, you know, Chelsea, there's something that I kind of hinged on when you said that uh, people put their own spin on Inception. And what we've done historically here is we actually go back to some of the reviews of these movies because I'm just going to, I mean, read the room. It seems like we've all enjoyed this movie, right? I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at Joe's face and Chelsea's face. It's not there. <laughs> I mean, what, what do you like? Uh, just genuinely, did you enjoy this movie or not? I did the first time I watched it, like movie theater. I remember everyone. I, Joe, did we see this movie together? We did not. I okay, mm -hmm. yeah. I don't know. I remember leaving with a group of people and everyone kind of being a little bit mind blown, you know. And you're all talking about <laughs> it. Um, so at first, I think I really, really liked it. I don't want to say it's one that as longer, like as time has moved on, that I I like it less. But as time has moved on. I feel like now I might think it's maybe unnecessarily overly complicated sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, but overall, I still I still like the movie. Well, that's that's what's bringing us to one of the reviews of this movie that wasn't uh, so positive. Oh uh, no! Oh, no. <laughs> so yeah, one of the reviews of this movie stated the real cause of wonder, though is why Nolan should have embraced technocratic complexity in the service of such a puny story. Oh, Lord, this keyboard warrior is upset. Ouch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, another one was, if it's the dreamer whose subconscious fills in the details as the film claims, why the absence of silliness, sex, horror, 
and general abandon. Well, Rick and Morty absolutely touch on that. So, (laughs) (laughs) so he he wanted nudity. Is what that is what that critic wanted. He's like, why, why no full frontal nudity? Why dream if you can't bone? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I can't, I can't fight those those demands. Um, (laughs) But here's one of the positives, though. One of the positive reviews was prediction: the market demand for mind-altering substances is about to take a dive. For (laughs) once, Inception takes hold at the cinema, and it surely will. This movie will have its attendees happily dazed for days, possibly weeks, and afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, I mean, I could sit here for an hour and probably write something that you know, says the same. But I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's what I think really is the lasting legacy of this movie is that, yes, we're still talking about it, unlike you know other films that have either been reboots or mm-hmm. you know spent uh, four times the amount of money to make, and for me this movie really was an emotional gut punch in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um the biggest of it being the song time by Hans zimmer which you've you, mm-hmm. if you watch the movie you know the song it's what the, the movie ends with and it's actually mixed into the score throughout the entire movie so like you're being hit with the the emotional weight of that song the entire time um and years later even i still listen to that song and like fighting back tears every time <laughs> it's it's just it's just that good of a, of, a, of a song so yeah although i mean it definitely has a completely different feel when uh someone mashes up ymca by the village people with it <laughs> i think that would you know wreck any song i, I mean <laughs> i think it makes it kind of great you kind of like it <laughs> i kind of like it it's like wow you've you've made you made the YMCA very moving very suddenly. <laughs> I was very compelled to go to the Young Men's Christian Association. Oh. <laughs> I really don't want to end on that, but I can't think of a better way to do it. <laughs> this is where everyone wakes up on that dumb comment. Just like any good dream, some idiot comes by and ruins it and you have to wake up. That guy is me. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, Joe, you just tell me whether or not you think that top is still spinning. You know, I think it may be as wobbly as my memory at points in this podcast because I definitely screwed a few things up. But I did pull together in the end, just like I think we always do. (laughs) You know, what I really love about this movie is that I think Christopher Nolan doesn't really care what ends up happening in the end. And... That's kind of where we all spend our time is debating what's going on with the movie. But I really do think that it keeps it relevant and it keeps, you know, other folks being interested in it. So if anything, it's just a good marketing tool and kudos. Hats off to you, Christopher Nolan, for that uh, little work he did in 2010. But, Joe, we are back to do some shout outs across the Twitterverse. Yes, to our friends, our neighbors on the internet. We have some thanks to give to you people, and we're going to start with another than Seamus Byrne. 
Ah, uh, yes. I stumbled on the name a little bit. But good old Seamus, yeah, if you recall, we had him when we were talking Ready Player One in our two-week coverage of that. He is the proprietor of Byteside, and he's something of a journalist in Australia. You know, he just has, like, minor accolades, like being an editor at CNET, you know, nothing, nothing too big. But, yeah, great guy. <laughs> he has his own independent stuff, and, yeah, he's a fantastic writer. So if you have not done so already, definitely check Seamus out. Yeah, seriously. I mean, he's he was voted the uh, top like technology journalist, I think, in 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's won that award, I think, more than once, actually. And that episode is one that I continue to look back to fondly just because of his expertise mm-hmm. and and how he had, you know, something relevant to say about every single piece of yeah. technology that you see in Ready Player One. So, yeah, I mean, de- definitely yeah. take a look at his his Twitter. He, he's actually got one of the coolest handles where it's just at Seamus. Like, mm-hmm. just by, yeah, he just got his name. How rare is that? Yeah. It's like impossible in this day and age to get your actual name. That's like us getting like at Joe. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't work. Joe's already taken. I don't know by who. Probably some guy named Joe. Yeah. But perhaps if I uh, knew a life hacker too and worked for Lifehacker, or perhaps Gizmodo or Kotaku, all places yeah. that Seamus has been a managing <laughs> editor of. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, I absolutely want to give a shout out to Seamus because, once again, we had such a great time with him. But speaking of folks that we had a great time with, going even deeper back into our history of this show, as we like to say, in honor of Inception, we're going another layer Ooh. deeper. We're actually going to be guest spotting with our friends Measuring the Score with Chris and Leslie, who we've mentioned a few times on the show, but it's been a little while. Um, You can find them at Measure the Score. And for those of you who aren't familiar with them, uh, they do cover film scores uh, as well as movie soundtracks and how they come together to make a cohesive product. But uh, yes, Mm -hmm. yeah, we, we joined forces yet again, didn't we, Joe? We did. And I believe we will be gracing, uh, their podcast very specially in november yeah yeah i think just yeah. in time for for thanksgiving we won't want to we don't want to you know ruin the announcement but mm-hmm. uh definitely stay tuned to their to their twitter and their social media as well as ours we'll share it once yeah. it comes out mm-hmm. uh, yes measuring the score who is at measure the score because twitter has restrictions <sighs> just makes it hard to find people dang it yeah, yeah that's that's why we're at digital dissect one but mm-hmm. you know whatever yeah work. can't get the full thing in there so you know you get what you get you don't throw a fit i suppose thanks internet yeah um <laughs> yeah other than that um one of our definitely uh one of our, our future guests stephanie phillips who is a writer for dc comics uh she's actually gonna be at new york comic-con this weekend october 7th through the 10th so mm-hmm. if you are in the new york area and you want to go and see and meet a really really good talented writer who is the current head writer for the harley quinn um line at dc check her out at uh, new york comic-con go say hi uh if you haven't read harley yet pick it up it's a really great story yeah and tell them digital dissection sent you she might still remember us i would think she, she had a might good time. <laughs> she had a good, i hope so <laughs> i mean she had a good enough time that she actually signed one of one of joe's you know uh graphic novels over there so yeah. i mean i think Mm-hmm. I think we're in in uh, probably in good standing with Steph. <laughs> I, I hope so. It's it's framed on my wall, just as yours could be if you see her at Comic Con this weekend. Yeah, you can you can find the extremely talented uh, mm-hmm. Stephanie Phillips at Steph underscore Smash on Twitter. 
Um, and you can also find, I believe, her her next Wonder Woman uh, entry is coming up in November. I want to say, um, if it's not, mm-hmm. yeah, I was going to say if it's not Wonder Woman, then I know there's another project she had coming up in November. So she's got a lot yeah. of stuff coming up pretty soon. Yeah, that I we're excited to see. It's, yeah, I think it's Sensational Wonder Woman is what she's working on. Yeah, so that's it. I, th- I believe that's the Wonder Woman title. If not, it is a Wonder Woman title. So. If in doubt, just look at one room and look for Stephanie Phillips. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? To round out our, our shout outs here, I did want to give um, another shout out to our, our friend, Kevin the Critic. Because ah, Kevin. Dude, you can't mention our coverage of Ready Player One and not talk about Kevin. That that was one of those conversations where you have a movie that was based on a book and then you have the daunting task of making sure that you don't get too deep into either one, right? Like it was, it was a really awesome conversation with a really cool dude. Um, if you haven't checked out Kevin McCritic, I think what's really awesome about his his history is that he started off reviewing like children's movies because that's what he had access to at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but watching his trajectory throughout the years as independent filmmakers have found him. Uh, he's also getting early access to other titles now, so like it's it's really fun and cool to see uh, that journey itself and and what he's up to. But I mean, God, he's been reviewing movies since two thousand five, so yeah, he's he's got something for everybody to read through and check out. Mm-hmm. And um, if you've somehow managed to miss the movies that he's reviewing, like I mean, pretty damn good uh, reviewer. So def- definite kudos here to uh, to Kevin the critic and. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I just, yeah. I always remember the really like the uh, almost every episode's fun to record. Oh, yeah. But I just remember leaving that mm-hmm. episode and going like, "Wow, I, I had a really good time mm-hmm. uh, talking about Ready Player One." Yeah, absolutely. So I get, I believe he has his own website, KevinTheCritic.com, right? He's there. He does. He does. And uh, now that Facebook is indeed back up and running, you can always find him there too. They stick up Kevin the Critic, and he'll be around. Yeah. Yeah, we always uh, always a big fan of of folks, you know, Twitter handles. Uh, right now, he's going by, I believe, Kevin lives in a graveyard. Oh, very <laughs> uh, but, very uh, spooky season uh, appropriate. Oh, absolutely. His handle, of course, is uh, at Kevin underscore the critic. But uh, yeah, he's going by Kevin lives in a graveyard, uh, at least until the end of October. <laughs> uh, but yes, All right. yeah. So and, you know. No, uh, I was going to say, like, check those people out. Great folks. And keep coming back to us, too. We'd appreciate that. Thank you for listening. Yeah, especially as we get into some spookier content, you know. We kind of grazed it a little bit with Inception being potentially a horror film at first, right? But it took a different turn. It did. Um, Quick twist. Yeah. Yeah, but, yes, stay tuned. We have some much more spookier content on the way with some fun guests and some fun topics. Until next time, keep on dissecting.